Hello and welcome. This is the Mundus Explained, a podcast to help you to understand easily the complex issues which shake the world constantly. I am José Roberto Castro, and today with me I have the reporters Adnan Leal, Ai Macareig, Barbara Polin, and Lisa Ossenbrink. They will tell you the most important elements you need to know about the protest in Chile. Your Mundus Explained starts now. We are absolutely clear now that there is no way that the Remain side can win. South Africa is a home for all. And indeed, we are not the only country. This means that Donald Trump will be the 45th president of the United, of the United States. Political, social problems. La mission de la France dans le monde est éminente. The British people have voted to leave the European Union and their will must be respected. Mundus explained. I am Adnan and today I will be telling you about the main controversy in Chile. The controversy. Adnan, Chile has the highest income average in Latin America. Even so, the population has been on the streets. Who are the protagonists on both sides of this conflict? Well, there are overall two sides. In one side, there's the neoliberal government, and in the other side, there's the unhappy civilians that have had enough. The rise on subway fares were the start, but they also protest against a variety of social is issues, such as inequality, healthcare, pensions, or corruption. There is also the abuse of force by the police in repression against the protests, and ultimately, they protest against a regime that nowadays is still influenced by the two-decade Pinochet dictatorship. But what exactly do they want? Well, the main demand is to reverse 30 years of conservative and liberal policies, to end them, to stop inequality, to end the shadow of Pinochet regime. For that, structural reforms are needed, as well as a new constitution, being the current one drafted during the dictatorship. And who leads this movement? The thing is, there is not a clear leader on Chile's protests and marches, but, however, the young generation is taking the most action. You can see university students, on the streets, and then in the other side, those who don't want to come back to Salvador Allende left policies are trying to resist. And the Salvador Allende was the left-wing president of Chile who suffered the coup by the dictator Augusto Pinochet in the 70s. Why are the protests so important for Chilean history? Well, the thing is, Chile is considered to be the most prosperous and most politically stable country in Latin America so far, at least in the last 20, 30 years. But now the they are really tired of the situation because they feel they never really got rid of their authoritarian elites because Pinochet himself was a politician until 2002. Now is also the first time since the dictatorship ended that the military was deployed to the streets. Yeah, that's why it's interesting there. Thanks, Adnan. I am Barbara and I will talk about the, the facts that are happening right now in Chile. What's now? So, Barbara, how did the dissatisfaction with the transport ticket price grow so much? 
Well, the increase was not popular, but it was just an ordinary decision of a government. On October 1st, public authorities announced a rise of 4% in the price of the tickets in the metropolitan area of the capital, Santiago. This decision triggered the most significant civil unrest since the end of the Pinochet dictatorship. As the protesters sang in the streets, their anger was not about 30 pesos, but about 30 years of inequality and a rising cost of living. 30 pesos, the value of increase, was and is more or less 5 cents of, of euro. Initially, during the first week of October, protests were limited to the metro station in Santiago. The first ones that initiated the protest were secondary school students, and they started a fair dodging campaign to nullify the effects of the new measures. The already widespread public support to their action boomed as the government dismissed the importance of the protest. For example, the Minister of Economy invited people to wake up earlier to avoid the payment of a high fare. Wow, it looks like a huge political mistake. Well, it was. The overall political inertia fueled further the, pop- the popular anger that spread from some metro stations to the most important areas of the capital. And here, pacific demonstrations started to be mixed with violent attacks on private and public facilities. Notwithstanding the growth in the number and the diversification of acts of protest, President Piñera did not take a stance on their demands. His silence highlighted the distance between his leadership and Chileans, and as, as it was denounced by the protest, and this situation galvanized and expanded further the supporters of the protest, I mean. In the late evening of 18th of, of October, Piñera's silence ended in a very abrupt way with a declaration of a national state emergency, the first after the years of Pinochet dictatorship. And what did it mean for the protesters? Well, the declaration of a state of emergency paved the way for a militarized handling of a protest. A curfew was imposed and the army was deployed to curb manifestations that were peaceful for the most part. As a result, violence quickly escalated and reports of police abuses followed one after another in the whole country, and 20 families had to mourn the death of their loved ones. However, the new hard stance of the government did not bring stability. Instead, it gave more strength to the positions of the protesters. And actually, the public opinion started to see in Piñera's government the only and true responsible for the present social unrest. So, if I got it, First, the silence, then the repression. What was next for Pineda? Well, his popularity is kind of lowering down and now it's around single digits. And in order to save his political career, Pinera promised strong progressive social economic measures. But his words really sounded void of significance to the protesters. And one of his really first decisions was a cabinet reshuffle. But then the protesters started asking more than actually a change in the government. And now they ask for his resignation, but also uh, the triggering of a new constitutional drafting process. According to the protester, this should lead uh, to a new social contract between the government and the people of Chile. And the people of Chile say that they are committed to continue taking the streets until their demands will not be satisfied. Thanks, Barbara.
Hello, I'm Lisa and I will be telling you about Chile's history today. How did we get here? The military dictatorship, economic policy, the democracy post Pinochet, the parties in power on an alternate basis. In this section of Mundus Explained, Lisa will give us a rough overlook of how the situation in Chile could get to this point. So Lisa, how? It's important to look at the country's history of inequality and its history of resistance after the 17-year-long military dictatorship of Pinochet ended in 1990. Since 2006, Chile has only had two different presidents, Michel Bachelet and the current Sebastián Piñera. Each one was elected twice. So let's start with Bachelet. How was her government? She was the first woman to lead Chile. Elected in 2006, her first term was shaped by massive student protests until 2008. These were known as the Penguin Revolution due to the pupils' black and white uniforms. Students went to the streets because they were unhappy with Chile's public education system. At the same time, strikes by copper miners and health workers were being organized. These are examples of how the Chilean public has always used demonstrations to resist further inequality in its country. Bachelet managed to increase government social spending. Her popularity rose. She also invested into a stimulus package to create jobs. By this, she was actually able to reduce poverty in the country. Bachelet was legally unable to serve a second consecutive term due to the Chilean constitution. Then they had Piñera, a wealthy businessman. Yes, exactly. In 2010, the first conservative president post Pinochet, Sebastián Piñera, was officially elected. Piñera's popularity increased highly after a mining accident was resolved without any of the miners being hurt. But this didn't stop students from returning to the streets in the following year. From 2011 to 2013, large student protests were formed. They became known as the Chilean Winter because the number of protesters were tremendously high during August 2011. Students protested against the outdated, underfunded and class-based public education system. Some argue that it was the same pupils that went to the streets in 2006 and 2008 now demonstrating against the country's university system. This is again a prime example of the public's resistance to social inequality. But Piñera also was not allowed to run again by constitution. So, it was time for Bachelet once again, right? Yes, exactly. When Bachelet was re-elected in 2014, she reformed the tax and education system. But in 2015, the image of politics was badly damaged. A scandal involving illegal campaign contributions of the opposition party and allegations against Bachelet's son made the public weary of its politicians. In 2016, the corruption investigations expanded to 200 politicians, business executives and other influential actors. The faith in the system was broken. Mistrust in politicians and other elites grew. And what about the economy? In the same year, hundreds of thousands of protesters went to the streets to request a restructuring of the country's pension system. Almost 80% of pensioners received less than a minimum wage. Nearly half of them lived below the poverty line. During all of this, the economic growth rate of Chile fell from 6.1 to 1.6%. Economic inequality increased. Inflation was on the rise. When the public had to go to the polls in 2017, the voter turnout was only at 48%. This is very low for Chilean standards. That is how Sebastián Piñera was re-elected. 
So, and here we are. Pinheira is again in the office, but under the most substantial crisis since the democracy was reestablished at the country. Yeah, exactly. So, more social justice in the areas of education, transportation and pensions have always been the main request in Chile's history of resistance. The ongoing protests that are happening now are deeply influenced by earlier demonstrations. Overall, the problem is social inequality. Thank you, Lisa. Hi, I'm Ai and I will be talking about what's next for Chile. What's next? The 1 billion pesos question is definitely the most difficult question to be answered right now. Ai? Yes, hi Jose. Definitely now that Chileans are experiencing an awakening, there are no signs that people are going back to sleep. Protests have been happening since October, and while the numbers are growing smaller, the demonstrations have spread even into Santiago's wealthiest neighborhoods, and the unrest isn't subsiding. One of the rallying cries of the movement is that the protests are only just beginning, so it could be far from over. What happens now? Well, there's a lot of uncertainty in what observers say is a very volatile situation. But there are some options, right? Yes, there are three things to look at. First, Piñera, broader reforms, and the Constitution. So, let's do it. Okay, let's start with Piñera. Many protesters demand the resignation of the billionaire president, who infamously ate pizza on the first night of the riots, further angering the people. Piñera told the BBC he isn't leaving and will finish his term with two years left until the next election. If he survives the political storm, the Council on Foreign Relations says he still faces an uphill battle as his approval rating falls to 14% and the opposition controls the National Congress. Political gridlock is likely until 2021. In the meantime, his government is the subject of an investigation by a United Nations team sent by former Chilean President and UN Human Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet. The probe is looking into allegations that security forces committed human rights abuses during the protests which sparked memories of the Pinochet dictatorship. So, it is a difficult scenario for someone who needs to lead reforms, right? Yes, it's unclear whether the government will address the need for broader structural social reforms to make life better and more equitable for Chileans. Piñera has suspended the metro fare hike, reshuffled his cabinet and promised changes, including raising pensions and the minimum wage, but to critics, these are just cosmetic. Analysts say greater reforms are needed to ease tensions to make sure the rich and the poor receive the same level of care in hospitals, the same education, and pensions guaranteeing their security in old age. Protesters are also frustrated that the government's proposed reforms come at a cost to taxpayers instead of private industries. Public opinion expert Loretto Cox at Chile Center for Public Studies says there is an extreme distrust of politicians and a lack of leadership. He says in the Americas Quarterly that there are no strong leaders in government, the opposition, or even among the protesters. And what's the role of the claims for a new constitution? 
So, a new constitution is meant to replace the one that's a legacy of the Pinochet era. To critics, this document formed the basis for the market-driven economic model that privatized social security systems such as pensions, health, and education. Chilean sociologist Patricia Navia of the New York University describes changing the constitution as a symbolism Chile needs to once and for all lay Pinochet to rest. So, Piñera, Brother Reforms, and the Constitution. These are the things to watch out for in Chile. Yes, but in the meantime, people are not leaving their fate in the hands of the government. Some Chileans are beginning to form neighborhood and workplace discussion groups. These are town hall meetings of sorts to take charge of their country's future. Reuters reports that these meetings seek to find solutions to the inequality that fuel the unrest. Organizers say getting together with their neighbors to discuss common causes is their first act of revolution. How this kind of revolution develops will be vital to the future of Chile and international politics at a time of global protests against the elite and the status quo. Thanks a lot, Ai. On the ground. To talk about the protests in Chile, the Mundus Explained has a special guest. Jacinta Molina is a journalist, former student of Erasmus Mundus program, and of course, she's Chilean. Jacinta, thanks for joining us. Who is in this movement and how can they change Chile? I will say that there's no face, no leadership within this movement. We have to remember that this started as student demonstrations against the increase of the metro ticket first and then suddenly and fastly became something even bigger, like different people uh, across ages and social backgrounds demonstrated against the high life expenses in Chile uh, because it is true that Chile has a very good economic performance, or it had that before. The tourist is a very unique one country. Um, the pensions are low, the health system is expensive and private, uh, the salaries are also low. One of the countries with the highest inequalities, economic inequalities within the OECD countries. That also explains why this movement has, um, well, it was originally, originally conceived and also it has the popularity that it has nowadays, but it's difficult to say like there's a leader or it's um, originally conceived within a political party or, or something because it, it's not. And that's also the difficulty for the government to negotiate or deal with this because it's more like a social demand across generations and also social backgrounds. Uh, how they can change Chile? Well, I think pretty much. I mean, now we are discussing to change the constitution. And that has been a discussion that, although it has been present in, in the political discussion before, it never had the relevance and the feasibility that it has now. And I will say this is just because of this movement. So now the government, which is a right-wing government, is open to, to change that constitution which dates back from the dictatorship, Augusto Pinochet dictatorship years. So this is 
pretty relevant. And now society has started to discuss, yeah, the salaries, maybe the the likability to increase the salaries within uh, within private companies. And same for the health system, and the low pensions, uh, even in the media sector, things are uh, slightly changing. Yeah, I, I think that something can uh, come up from all of this. Things are changing like almost every day and there's relevant happenings taking place almost every day in Chile. Thanks to our guest Jacinta Molina, a Chilean journalist. Deeper. In this deeper section we recommend you insights that we used for our research are also some insights that you could use for better explaining the situation in Chile. We would suggest uh, No uh, from Pablo Larraín, a movie from 2012 that talks about the referendum but ousted Pinochet. You can also get information from democracynow.org with Amy Goodman, where they discuss major global issues with activists, academics, and different sources. Another good read to understand the complexities of the protest in Chile is an article published by the New York Times titled Chile Woke Up, Dictatorship's Legacy of Inequality Triggers Mass Protests. Soundtrack Okay, and we will finish this first show playing a song which have been representative of protests in Chile for more than 40 years. The famous singer Victor Jara, a Salvador Allende supporter, was killed by Pinochet dictatorship after the coup in 1973. The name of the song is El Derecho de Vivir en Paz. Que funde todo el clamor, el derecho de vivir en paz.
sin apal. La luna es una explosión que funde todo el clamor, el derecho de vivir en paz. Tío, por nuestra canción, es fuego de puro amor, es palomo, palomar, Thank you, Adnan, I, Barbara, and Lisa. Thank you who listened our first show. See you soon.